Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, head to isuencounter.org or download our student app to learn about all that's happening here. Thanks for listening. Hey, as you sit, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and pray together tonight to launch in. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for every soul that's represented in this place tonight. I don't think it's an accident. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think it's an accident that each person is here. And so I pray that you'd help us interact with your words, your teachings, Jesus. I pray they'd come to life for us in a way tonight that maybe they haven't before. So you inspire us. You go out in front of us, Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Oh, Chandler. <laughs> I, I appreciate that you wait four nanoseconds after the amen for that. Um, what's the darkest place you've ever been? Sorry, rhetorical question. You don't have to shout it out, okay? And no, I, I don't actually mean, uh, I'm, that, I'm not asking like a spiritual or a metaphorical, like what's the darkest night of the soul that you've ever walked through. That's not what I'm asking. I'm actually asking, what's the darkest place that you've been? Have you ever been in a place that's completely without light? Uh, any of you ever gone on like a cave tour or gone deep into a cave? Because anytime you do that, at the absolute bottom of that cave, they turn out the lights. Anybody ever done that? Good number of you. Let me, so let me tell you one of my favorite cave stories, okay? Because if, you've, if you tracked around here for a while, you know that I like doing outdoorsy stuff and caving falls into that category. And so there was a season of my life where I would take, sometimes I would take groups of students, sometimes it would just be me and some friends uh, we would go down to a place in southern Missouri, and there'd be like climbing and kayaking and caving and all kinds of other stuff that we would do down there. And so one of my favorite memories, um, a friend worked at the camp that we would sometimes go down. And so, uh, so we went down one time, just he and I together. There was another guy who worked at the camp as a guide, and we were hoping to go spelunking with him. We were hoping to go caving with him. But when we got down there, he was like, hey, I'm super busy. I can meet, meet up with you guys later. I'll try to describe to you where this cave is at. It's a wild cave, I mean, which, which means that it's not like a touristy, stairs-built, you know, light switches on the walls kind of thing. It's truly like a hole in the ground that you crawl into and, um, and explore. And, they, and he's a guide. They take groups into it. He does wilderness rescue. So it's like, so here's what he says. He said, you know what? There's a cave that you guys should go check out. Um, this is before the days of GPS. So he's like, I don't know if you're going to be able to find it. I'll give you topographic maps. And we knew how to like orienteer, you know, the old school. It looked like the 1700s, you know, where you used a compass and you actually like tried to find. That's, that's what we had to do. So he gives us these topographic maps. And he, here's what he says. He says, you know, you're going to need to orienteer to this specific spot. And if you can find this creek, you'll follow the creek up and you will come to just a, a huge cave opening, like, like you would see in the movies. You know, most caves don't look like that. But he's like, big cave opening. And, he sa- and so we did that. We, we orienteered, we used the maps, we found that cave opening. He's like, there's a creek flowing out of it. And go down, he said, it'll, it'll, it'll start to get dark and it'll start to get cold because caves stay at like 55 degrees year round. And then he's like, and you'll actually come up out of that into an open area where you're back in the woods again. He said, because part of the cave collapsed. And he said, uh, and then there'll be a second cave opening that's huge too. And, and so, you know, we followed his instructions and we walked through, we went down, it got, started to get dark, started to get light again, started to get cold. We came back out in this area and he goes, hang out in that area for a little while because it sits between those two cave openings. And it wasn't much bigger than this room. 
I mean, like, you know, one cave opening here, the other one there. And he's like, here's the craziest part about that. Because it sits between those two cave openings, in the summer, it doesn't get much above, like, 60 degrees in that one spot in the woods. And in the winter, it doesn't ever freeze. And so he said, there's this spot that's just like 100 feet by 100 feet that's its own ecosystem. There are plants that grow there that don't grow anywhere else in Missouri because it doesn't have winter and it doesn't really have summer. It's like the same season. And so we followed his instructions. We sat in that place, and it was like, this is so cool. This is so cool. And he's like, then you go into the second cave opening. It's going to look like a dead end. And so we followed his instructions. Boom, dead end. He said, now... Where the creek disappears under the rocks, you're going to follow that ledge to the right, and there's going to be a hole in the ground about this big around, and you've got to go in it head first. And he's like, and this is why nobody knows that this cave exists, because you would never go in that hole head first without knowing what's in there. And we're like, okay. And he said, and so that's what we did. And it dropped straight down for about three feet, and then it kind of angled off. And so you plop down, your body, you know, sticking straight out of the ground, and you fell down in there. And he said, and it's going to be a tight tunnel for maybe 70 yards, which is a long way, you guys. It's a really long way, most of a football field. And he said, but as you go through that tunnel, it's going to be pretty tight at first, and, 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 and I'm going to tell you, it was pretty tight at first. There were spots in it where my helmet, I, I could not vertically go through with my helmet, and I'd have to turn my head sideways so I could, like, wiggle through that direction. Anybody uncomfortable with that? Okay, a few of you, yeah. I can tell by your body language. And so, but as we were, as we were going on and on and on with that, and I want you to keep in mind, um, you know, the dude who's coaching us in this. We set a time, you know, when you do that kind of stuff, you have to set a time of return with somebody so they know, you know, if you don't get back by a certain time that they can come and find you. And he knew the cave, so he was able to describe for us that we weren't going to get lost in any passages or anything like that. But we got out of that, that crawl into a larger room and then into another, some more twisty passages that were big and into a different room. That creek stayed with us. There was an underground waterfall in this cave, just crazy. It was some of the most beautiful stuff. And we just kept going and kept going. And finally, we got to the end. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't endless. So we got to the, the final little cavern in this cave. And we sat down together and we turned off our lights. And you guys, if you've never been in a cave with no light, I mean, we were, and we, we had gone through that crawl and we had gone through all these other places and we turned off our lights. And you just if you hold your fingers up in front of your eyes, there's just no sense that anything is there. And if you do that for about three or four minutes, you'll actually start seeing some flashes of light, which are just your brain <laughs> messing with you to be like, is there light? Is there light? There isn't light. And you open your eyes and close your eyes, and there's no difference between the two. And there's this, there's, there's, A, there's sort of a sense of wonder to be like, man, this is amazing. But there's also this sense of dread um, that's like, if I had no light right now, there is no way I would get out of this place. None. There'd be zero chance. There's no way in the dark you could feel your way back through all of the stuff. Truly, I mean, we wouldn't have even tried. If all of, I mean, we, each of us had like five or six sources of light with us, but if all of those were dead, you'd just sit down and be like, I hope that David comes. <laughs> that was the name of the guy who did this, the wilderness rescue stuff. I, ho I hope he comes and finds us. Because otherwise, there's no hope. That's the darkest place I've ever been. 
when you're sitting in that kind of a cave with no light. And that's the metaphor that we're going to lean into tonight, the very simple parable that Jesus gives us tonight. It's not hard for you to understand, for me to understand. It is right there on the surface in Matthew 5. And so before I get to the text, I just want you to understand that that Matthew 5 through 7 is sometimes called the Sermon on the Mount. I dare you to memorize it, by the way. It's three chapters. You can do it. It's like eight minutes if you delivered it over. And and so, I mean, I know for some of you, you're like, that's crazy. It's not crazy. You can memorize Jesus' entire sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But in the very beginning of that sermon, the Beatitudes sit right in the first few verses of chapter 5. And the Beatitudes, those are the verses where Jesus is saying, if you remember, when he's like, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's a bunch of those that sit in the blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So all of these blessed bees that Jesus gives, and some scholars think that Jesus is being prescriptive when he, give those, he gives those. In other words, he's saying, hey, you should be meek, so you'll inherit the earth. But some scholars think that he's being perceptive in those verses. In other words, he's actually looking around him and he's identifying his crowd when he says, hey, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And, and he sees someone else and he's like, hey, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he looks at someone else and he's like, hey, blessed are you when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And if you listen to the things that he, he throws out there, I mean, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, the peacemakers, persecuted for righteousness, blessed are those when people revile you. So, I mean, like, the people he's identifying when Jesus calls this out are not exactly, like, the influencers, You understand what I'm saying? He's kind of calling out the down and outers here. If I wanted to start a movement, if I wanted to, if I had a new business and I wanted to be super famous with college students, I'm not going to recruit the down and outers. I want to recruit the influencers, right? The people who are getting lots of clicks and lots of likes and lots of views and putting out lots of content because I want them to influence everybody else. Jesus is actually doing like the exact opposite here. The people who he's calling out in the crowd are the poor in spirit and the meek and the the merciful and the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted. These are the people who he's raising to the surface and being like, you are blessed. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And it's to that group of people that in Matthew 5.14, he speaks this very simple lesson that translates so well to you and I tonight. He says, you, and he's talking to that group, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Pretty simple, right? Well, I don't have to, like, unpack. The last couple of parables that we've been in, there's actually had, there had to be some teaching to accompany it to be like, hey, you need to kind of put yourself in the position of a first-century listener to understand this. You get light and darkness, mostly. The one cultural piece I could think of that might be different for us is 
We actually don't understand darkness quite the way that they do because we live in a world of electric light that's everywhere. Your parking lots are lit up by street lamps. I mean, you can't go stand somewhere and scan the horizon and not see a light. You see towns in the distance that are illuminating the clouds. You see street lights. You see, I mean, it's just light is all over the place. Even our darkest places have a lot of light. So can you imagine for a moment, and it's hard for us to do, can you imagine a first century listener who doesn't have that? Like, can you imagine traveling from town to town? Let's say that you wanted to go visit a relative, and where they lived was only a mile outside of town, but you had to walk there. Can you imagine walking there at night? No light? Just a torch? A lantern? (laughs) You're just like... I mean, we get scared. This idea of, I don't know, if I walk across campus and it's dark, somebody could be out there who wanted to hurt me. Can you imagine walking a couple mile long path with a lantern where anybody who wanted to hide behind any bush could? It'd be a whole different world. It would change the way you lived culturally. You wouldn't travel at night. There's a lot of stuff you wouldn't do at night just because of the darkness that sat there. And so, it's true for us. I mean, the, the analogy works for us too, but man, it's a, it's a slightly different thing for them. It's even more true for them, it, the first world listener, the first century listeners that Jesus would have had there. But I, there are three pictures that I want you to catch tonight through the text. All right, three main things that I want you to see. And the first one is this. I want you to see a picture of resemblance. I am light like my father is light. You look like your dad. That's the easy way for me to say it. Okay? You are light just like God is light himself. This is, um, you know how we all, you know, the, the, the way that, uh, that our DNA works, we resemble people in our families because we actually care, carry genetic similarities to them, right? And so this is a picture, I, you know, I've got lots of relatives. I actually take after my mom's side more than my dad's physically in terms of my physical features and stuff. And so if I show you a picture of my grandpa, all right, over here on the left, you guys, that's me. Like, that's my profile. That's my, like, he has the big, long nose that I've got, all right? He's got, like, the weird, tall ears that I have. I, I should say I have the weird, tall ears that he has that are there. I have like the same profile. I have about the same posture. Almost all of the people on my side of, of, of the family don't have any hair, okay? It's like they, they balded very young. I still have hair like he has hair because my grandpa had, like he kept, it, it thinned for a while, okay? It wasn't like he didn't have an afro and you can't see it in this picture. But I resemble him and that's not an accident, because I actually carry part of his genes forward in our family. And so that's actually my mom, the little girl in pigtails off to the right on that side that sits there. Okay, and so I look like my dad. I look like my dad. You, you look like your heavenly father. Genesis 1.26 says that we were made in his image. And his image, scripture loves to talk about, is light. It's light. That's who God is. Let me give you just a few. I can give you a lot, but let me give you just a few. I'll start in 1 John, and the rest I'll just do from Psalms. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord, Psalm 4. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 27. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. Psalm 28. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they will walk 
in the light of your presence, Lord. Psalm 89. Listen, light is a picture of God's character and his holiness and his purity. And you might say, oh, wait, I'm not holy and pure. That's not me, though. Yeah, you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life over to Jesus, he has made you, transformed you into something that is holy and pure like your father. You are like him. You aren't him. I mean, you aren't gods and goddesses. That's not what, that's not what the text preaches. But it preaches that you resemble him. You hear me say this a lot, but you are like your dad in the sense that you have his creativity. Our God is a creative God. He loves to create you have his wisdom. You have access to his wisdom. You have the ability to love. You have a far deeper well for love than you think that you do because you're like him. You have the ability to create order out of chaos. You have the ability to create things that have never been before, to have ideas and to pull those ideas into reality and to benefit other people through those ideas. You have the ability to do that, just like your father. You're light like he is light. You resemble him. You carry his DNA. His genes are in you. Don't miss that tonight. We reflect the light that he has given us. But God has made it possible for us to be light as he is light. So that's the first picture. It's one of resemblance. I'm like my dad. I look like him. The second one is a picture of contrast. It's actually the complete opposite. It is that I am different from the darkness. I don't resemble darkness anymore. Again, the moment that I give my life over to Jesus, I am different than the, the darkness. You were designed to be light, but you know Genesis 3, we fell into darkness. So you weren't designed to be an anxious, worried mess, all right? But I know you feel that way sometimes. That's part of the darkness, all right? You weren't designed to chase things that destroy you, but we do that at times, because that's part of what the darkness is, you understand? You weren't created to use and abuse other people. You weren't created for pride or for greed, but we carry that darkness inside of us, right? Because of that fallenness that happens in Genesis 3. So again, I come back to this place of are humans good or are humans evil? Well, from a Christian perspective, the answer is we are good, made in the image of our Father, but fallen, fractured. We're not the light that we used to be without his help until he remakes us. So I need you to understand that in this contrast, this, this idea that I am different from the darkness, the word world that Jesus uses in this, that, you know, light of the world, those two things are held in contrast. That light is illuminating something in the world that is different. Let me give you John 1. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Greek word cosmos, all right? He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. You see the way that he's using the word world there? It's connected to something that is not light. The world is a place that needs light, but it is not the light. There's a contrast that sits there. And so I need you to understand that there are two different kingdoms that exist in the world. One is a kingdom of light, that Jesus belongs to, and one is a kingdom of darkness. And so we have verses like this. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live where? In the light. His people are people of light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son who purchased our freedom 
and forgave us our sins. There's two different kingdoms, good and darkness. Let me give you another verse, same thing. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. So scripturally, all over the place, and I'm just giving you a sampling here, light is contrasted by a kingdom of darkness, which oftentimes goes by that code name, the world. The world. That we think differently about the world. So when we step into the light, God does something that transforms us. You know the song, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was, but now am. Contrast, you hear it? Was blind, but now I, yeah. So again, you have these contrasts that sit there that say, I once was this, but now I'm this. I once was this, but now I'm this. I once was a part of a kingdom of darkness, but I have been transferred to a kingdom of glorious light. I once was a part of the world, but now I have been brought into something else. I am different not that I did this myself, but I am different from the darkness. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. There's this contrast that sits there. I am supposed to be different than the darkness now. Are we? Are we different than the darkness? Here's where we get verses like this. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. It continues in this section. I'm jumping to verse 7. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. Do you hear what Paul is begging of you? He's like, stop trying to mix light and darkness together. There is supposed to be a contrast that sits between these two things. Light and darkness don't have business with one another. You were rescued into a kingdom of light, so live as children of light. That's who you are. And that that brings all kinds of questions to my mind. Do I watch everything the world watches? Do I drink everything the world drinks? Do I worry about everything the world worries about? Do I gossip the way the world gossips? Do I think about my body or sex in the exact same way the world does, the campus does? If I'm a child of light, I'm supposed to think differently than the world. And Jesus and Paul, together in the New Testament, push you, implore you to live as children of light because that is who you are. That's who God has designed you to be. He's rescued you from the darkness. Don't run back to it. Now, some of you might feel shamed by that. It's not a shaming thing that I'm trying to get at with you. I'm telling you that Jesus knows that the darkness isn't for you, that it will break you, that it will hurt you, that it will harm you. And he's like, don't run back into dark spaces. You say, what if I have? Well, then you have forgiveness. That's who Jesus is. That's why we're grace people. We sit in this place where all of us run back to the darkness at times. And the Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder and he's like, "Mm, child, that isn't who you are. Remember, I rescued you from that. Don't run back to the slavery that I rescued you from. Don't you go back there. And the beautiful thing is we don't have to sit in shame. We don't have to sit in guilt. We come to the Father and we say, God, thank you. Rescue me. Rescue me again. For the 10,000th time, rescue me from that darkness. 
And he says, you bet. You bet, child, you're already forgiven. Now, if you have never done that before, I mean, if you're in here and that, that, that's foreign to you, let me just encourage you that truly, tonight or tomorrow, whenever you want it to be, you can meet God for the first time and say, My li- I, I want to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness. I don't like what sits in me. I want to be a new creation. I want to live as a child of light. I want to be transferred from that kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Then tonight's the night. I mean, you already saw two pictures of baptism. And there's nothing magic about a baptism, you guys. But the baptism is a picture of that rescue, of a death, a burial, and a resurrection. It's not where that happens. That happens inside you and can happen right now. As I'm preaching, you can pray, Jesus, rescue me. I need that. I need my life turned around. I give my life over to you. And it's done. That's who he is. That's how he rescues. That's how he transfers you from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. Now, there's one other thing I have to jump in with this because if we misunderstand this, it actually takes us to some dark places. Because if we hear all of this and we say, oh, kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness, well, the world, cosmos in the Greek, is a bad word, right? That's evil. And so the world is evil, and we should hate the world, and we should hate evil. There was a, there was a group, um, a sect in Jesus, well, in the, in the early church's day called the Gnostics. Uh, that is a silent G, which I think is fascinating at the beginning of the word Gnostic, okay? Um, but the Gnostics believed that anything physical was evil, and all, all things spiritual were good. And so the world was so bad that anything physical, anything tangible, we shouldn't have anything to do with. As a matter of fact, they were so serious in this teaching that they believed that Jesus couldn't have had a physical body because that would have been uh, heretical. It would have been blasphemous. And so Jesus must have been a purely spiritual being who never actually had a physical body. And I guess messed up. That's weird stuff, all right? So I need to tell you tonight that when we talk about the world being bad, Jesus' tone for that was a deep care and concern to restore that world, not to watch it burn. He came to this world because he didn't see the world as a place that could not be redeemed, a place that was beyond the reach of the light. He believed the light could redeem and restore it. Again, there's verses all over Scripture that look like this. This is specific from Jesus' lips. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Greek word, cosmos. I came to save it, to redeem it, to restore it. I came to, to heal that which was broken. That is the tone of Jesus toward the world. There are some dark and evil things that happen on this campus, you guys. Jesus loves this campus dearly. He's not, he hasn't written it off and been like, eh, it's too dark. I can't get to it. No, he's like, his heart breaks for it. And he's like, I want to restore it and redeem it. And I want to restore and redeem you so that you can restore and redeem it. That's what it means to be a light in a dark place. All right, I got to keep moving. The third point that I want you to grab onto this is authenticity. Authenticity. That being is connected to doing. When I talk about you guys being children of light and living as children of light, I'm not talking about you faking it until you make it, all right? I'm not talking about you just trying to muster up enough strength so that you can live a light-filled day tomorrow. All we have to do is let our outside 
be what our inside is doing. Because God says he'll transform on our inside. He'll transform us from the inside out. And so as long as we don't throw up barriers, as long as we don't start to have to fake it, as long as we don't start to pretend, that light will make its way out of us. Romans 12, 2. Be transformed, Paul says. He doesn't say transform yourselves. He tells you to be transformed. It's a passive thing. God's the one who's doing the transforming. You're the one that allows him to work. Let your outside match your inside. Let who you are in this room right now match what you do in the weekends. Be an authentic human. Being someone, be someone that the world could not choose to be a hypocrite. The idea in this passage, again, he says it in a different place in John 13, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus isn't saying try to fake some love. Even though you hate people on the inside, fake some love on the outside so people will think you're one of my disciples. He's like, no, 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 no. Let God's love transform your inside so that it will make its way outside and transform the world. When Jesus says you are the light of the world, that's what he's saying. I have transferred you into a kingdom of light as a child of light. Let that light shine. I mean, it's simple. Let it shine. Let that light shine for everyone to see. And when we live as children of light, people notice. We talk about sharing our faith, right? We talk a lot about that phrase, sharing our faith. We'll talk about that a lot this weekend. But the primary way that you share your faith is right there your love for one another, the way that you sacrifice for other people, the way that you live by kingdom priorities and principles, and the way you use your words. But it isn't just your words. It isn't just sharing about Jesus. Your life, most of the time, will share that first. I had a, um, a situation when I, when I, I'm going to try to tell this story fast, but it's kind of long. Um, when I was at Eastern, I lived in the dorms there for most of the time that I was there. And there was this dude about three doors down who was really hard to live with, all right? He wasn't, I mean, he, none of us had him as a roommate. He did have a roommate for a while. That dude moved out after like six days. He just could not handle it, okay? This kid would come back stoned out of his mind. This was back in the day of CD players, all right? No, so no MP3s, all right? He, he had a Rolling Stones CD. I think it was the only CD he owned, okay? He would come back home stoned out of his mind, turn that little tiny stereo all the way up, okay? And it wasn't even a good stereo, so it was just like distorted, a distorted mess of Rolling Stones. And he would pass out from the drugs, and that CD had a spot that it would skip, and it would stay on that spot all night long, just blaring. Like an alarm going off, all right? And usually after an hour or two, someone would call the RA. You couldn't beat on his door loud enough to get him out of the stupor that he was in, so somebody would have to go up and turn that thing off. And this dude, that was, that was just one of a billion things that he did that made everybody crazy. Every guy on the floor was like, this has to end. I don't understand why the university isn't doing something about this, all right? So last day, he was assigned a roommate toward the very end of the semester. Some poor soul had to move, and that's where they moved him, okay? And just within a few days, this guy was like, cannot do this. I can't make it to the end of the semester. We're all like, if you need to stay in our rooms, you can, okay? And so he came up. We'd only known each other for a couple of weeks, but he came up to me at the very last day of finals with that Rolling Stones CD, and he was like, hey, Ben, what should we do with this? And I was like, 
all of these vindictive, I mean, it's like the amount of sleep I had lost over that one CD, like, oh man, did I want to help him destroy that? And I, the Holy Spirit was like, it's not who you are. I was like, dang it. So I had to look at this dude and say, hey man, I can't tell you how bad I want to destroy that thing, but I can't. If you do, I won't complain, but I can't. I can't do it. And he pulled me aside after that. It wasn't right in that moment, but he pulled me aside after that, and he said, I need to understand why. Tell me why. That dude totally deserves us messing with him, us hating him. Why won't you do that? And I told him, I was like, hey, dude, it may sound weird, but it's Jesus. Like, I've been told I'm supposed to love people, even those who are my enemies, and that dude feels a lot like my enemy right now, but I can't pay him back the way that he's, he's paid me. I can't be the way to him that he has been to me. Um, and we had a long conversation about the gospel in that moment. Because in that moment, living as a child of light spoke something to him. He was like, what in the world? <laughs> Dude, what in the world is going on with that? When we live by kingdom priorities, the gospel goes out in front of us, and people are like, wait, you're spending your weekend doing what? You're going to Little Galilee this weekend with a bunch of people you don't know very well? Yeah. Yeah, I am. You choose a different way to spend your mornings where you're actually sinking into the Word and reading it and your roommates walk out and they see that, there might be some questions. You spend your money differently, your time differently, your thoughts differently. You start loving people who don't deserve to be loved, who treat you poorly, who persecute you. People are going to have some questions. That's what it means to live as a light in dark spaces. I know it's, it's, it's brutally simple, but, I mean, I can't do a thing about light without actually just giving you a tangible thing. So let's go ahead and kill the lights for a second, and let's just get at Jesus' metaphor here, shall we? All right? I know that I can't not make it completely dark in this room. I can't quite get it to the cave setting, all right? There is no—that's close. That's close, right? And, you guys, I could have bought a ridiculous flashlight, Okay? some like 12,000 lumen flashlight to just blind you in this. I didn't, okay? What I bought was a lantern, a little lantern that's just a rechargeable thing. I just want you to understand that in Jesus's metaphor, let me hit the right, see if I can find the button. In Jesus's metaphor, a little bit of light pierces the darkness. You understand? This is not a crazy amount of light. And yet, even in a room this size, I can see each of your faces right now through it. Light has a way of doing that. And just some quick reminders I want to give you. First of all, in Scripture, light and life are connected all the time. Light brings life. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Psalm 36, you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. If the sun went out, you guys, I did a little bit of looking into some of those studies. Pretty much, if we were absolutely diligent, it's possible that humankind could last a couple of years. But our sun brings life to everything, plants, animals. The light, that, listen, without the sun, physically, we're not going to last. But without the light that God is, spiritually, we don't last. 
His light brings spiritual life to us. That's who he is. Two, light is revealing. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a light to my feet, a a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. If you have ever tried to walk in darkness, (laughs) and all the stubbed toes that come along with that, because that stuff you just can't see and identify, and you hit it with your knee, or you hit it with your shin, or you hit it with your toe, Light is revealing. It's helpful that way. But do you know what light can also be? Abrasive. You've been in the dark for a while, and somebody puts this light in your face, it's abrasive. It's hurtful. And Scripture talks about that. John 3.20, Jesus says this, People doing evil hate the light and refuse to go near it because they'll be exposed. If I'm doing stuff that has some darkness to it, I don't like it when someone walks up and puts that light on me. But Jesus says, you know what? This is what the light is supposed to do. It's okay that it reveals that stuff in us that doesn't belong. That's what light is supposed to do. And the beautiful thing, I'm going to go back to this, we serve a loving and forgiving God who doesn't scream at you to shame you. He offers you forgiveness when you realize you messed it up because the light reveals where you're broken. That's what light does. But the easiest metaphor that Jesus gives us here that just sits right on the surface, and I I need to know that you see it, is that light pierces the darkness unless we do this. That's the teaching. That's what Jesus says. He says, hey, you naturally are light. This is who you are. You don't have to try to be a bigger light, a better light. You don't have to increase your light. If you are transformed by me, you pierce the darkness. You reveal, you illuminate, you give light to people's, fa- to, to people's paths. You even help convict them of their own darkness in that. You're a light like your father is a light. You resemble him unless you cover it. And Jesus says there's no point. You don't do that. You don't take a light and put it under a basket. He says you put it on its stand so it gives light to the whole house. Why in the world would you light a lamp and do this? It doesn't make any sense. But that's the parable, right? Because some of us live lives like this, where the light is actually burning in us and nobody around us has a clue. And Jesus is like, hey, just be the light. Just be who I made you to be. I transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness. Don't return to that kingdom of darkness. Live as children of light. And my friends, just don't cover it up. That's all I'm asking you to do. Don't cover it up. Our whole weekend this weekend, we'll be talking about how to let the gospel shine out of us. It really will. It's not too late for you to go. Even if, I mean, I I would beg you to be brave enough to come away for a weekend for something that you don't know. Lay down your expectations and see what God might do with that. Because this is not just about learning to say the right words. This is about us just being children of the light and that light shining into very dark spaces that God needs to shine. You personally, personally need the light. So for some of you tonight, maybe what you need to hear is that it's time to stop running back to the darkness. It's time to stop. That's a miserable place to live with a foot in each kingdom, one in the kingdom of light and one in the kingdom of darkness. 
That is a miserable place to be. But what all of us need to hear tonight is, if God has set you free, why would you return to dead things? Why would you return to darkness? Let your light shine that people may see it and praise your Father in heaven. I'm going to let Isaiah have the last word, and then I'm going to pray. Beautiful verse in Isaiah 9-2. The people walking in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for rescuing us out of a very dark spiritual place, a place of desolation, a place that we could not get ourselves out of. And thank you for transferring our citizenship, literally changing our passport from darkness to light. We belong to you. We are your children. We resemble you. Help us look different from the darkness, Jesus. Help us to live authentic lives where this light that exists inside of us shines out of us. And I pray, Lord, that as we begin to take that in, as we begin to understand it, as we begin to to give that over to you, as we begin to, to surrender it to you, that there would be people who come to know you in March and there'd be people who come to know you in April that are in a really dark place right now but we'll find your light. So we love you, Jesus. Shine. Shine through us, Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. to get involved at isuencounter.org.